for my life. Nobody should feel that pain. Has fear become the new normal for students in America? Everyone must work together at every level of government to keep our children safe. The Lieutenant Governor of Texas joins us with all the latest next. Plus, bigger than Watergate? As the special counsel's investigation enters its second year, President Trump accuses the FBI of spying on him during his 2016 campaign. Are his efforts to undermine the investigation working? This president's relentless attacks are not reflective of what our nation is. The top Democrat on the Senate Intelligence Committee, Senator Mark Warner, will be here in moments. And Republican revolt. House Speaker Paul Ryan tries to rally his party after a deepening rupture over immigration policy tanks a major bill. We're working in earnest with our members to try and address all of their concerns. Is there a leadership vacuum on Capitol Hill? Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is grieving for Santa Fe, Texas. And what now feels like a tragic national routine. The country is remembering those lost on Friday after a student allegedly opened fire at a high school. Late Saturday, authorities released the names of the 10 innocent people who were killed. And as in so many of these tragedies, the victims were mostly students, teenagers looking forward to birthday parties and summer break. Authorities say the alleged shooter was a student at the high school who used guns legally owned by his father. Now the governor of Texas is calling for immediate action. We need to do more than just pray for the victims and their families. It's time in Texas that we take action to step up and make sure this tragedy is never repeated ever again in the history of the state of Texas. Joining me now from Houston, Texas, is the Lieutenant Governor of Texas, Republican Dan Patrick. Lieutenant Governor, thanks so much uh, for joining us. Uh, first of all, obviously, our thoughts yes. and prayers have been with the town of Santa Fe over the last few days. You've been there speaking with family members, talking to survivors. How is the community yes. doing? The, the community, like Texas, is very strong, but obviously hurting, Jake. Uh, there was a prayer vigil the other night. Uh, I'll be joining uh, Governor Abbott uh, later this morning at a, a church service. And this is, a, this is a community that stands on the rock of faith. You know, Jake, in the last 10 months, Texas has been through a lot. Largest natural disaster with the hurricane, the largest church shooting, and now this. And we stand strong together on the rock of faith and the rock of our constitution. We believe in our in our, our freedom and our liberties and our Second Amendment, and uh, we will stand strong and we will stay together as a community as we have done for the, almost the last year in many, in many crisis situations. We've also been following, of course, the latest developments about the shooting. Is there any new information that you've learned about this tragedy, either having to do with whatever sick motive the shooter had or, or how he got the guns or anything else? Uh, there is a, uh, a parent of one of the deceased students who said that uh, her her daughter had had told this particular uh, student, uh, the shooter, uh, the alleged killer, um, time and time again rebuffed his his I guess asking for a date, and uh, she's talked about that. But in terms of any true motive, any more information, uh, 
you know, police are still investigating all the journals that he's written, um, looking through computers and telephones, I'm sure. The governor said he wants to do something about this, that prayers are not enough. Yeah. He's announced roundtable conversations coming up early this week about potential solutions uh, to yeah. mass shootings, uh, school shootings. Here's what you said about possible answers on Friday. Take a listen. What can we do now? One, if you're a parent and you own guns, lock your guns safely away. Your children should not be able or anyone else to get your legally owned guns. It's a serious issue. It's one big step that we can take. If that's how you feel, sir, should that be law? Yes. Uh, well, in, in many cases, there are, there are laws, depending on the states, and, and I'm sure there's some federal law regarding your cap culpability in a crime using a gun if it was your gun uh, or if you own a gun. Also, there have been civil suits filed against those who own guns when someone got their guns in the past. Uh, but without question, Jake, uh, several things need to happen. One, we have to start at home. A gun ownership, and I'm a proud gun owner, that comes with responsibility of gun control in your home. Be sure that your kids and grandkids or anyone who might have access to your home uh, cannot get your guns. And number two, uh, Jake, I'm a Can I just interrupt for one believer, second? I'll as, get to, I, want yeah. you to, I sure. want you to let you get to sure. number two in a second, but just to, sure. on number one for a second. Sure. Should it be law that if you, especially if you have children in the house or people under 18, I know Texas, the age is 17, but, but should right. it be law that you, right. that you have to lock up your guns? Well, again, um, Jake, depending on the state, uh, I'd have to look at all the, the federal but what about code Texas? right now and code concerning the guns. Uh, in Texas, again, uh, we hold you very responsible if you're a gun owner. For example, I'm a concealed carry, as are almost one million Texans. If I use my gun uh, to stop a crime or to, de to defend myself and a stray bullet, uh, if I fire a bullet that goes astray and strikes someone else, I can be held not only civilly but criminally liable. So even in a case of not only controlling your guns in your home um, and keeping them locked up, uh, you also uh, can be held criminally uh, liable if, if you use your gun and someone gets hurt uh, who was not your intended target. If someone's trying to attack you and you miss them and hit someone else, uh, yes, you can face charges. So, right, that's the law right uh, now in have Texas, to look but there, exactly, isn't a, there isn't a law uh, yes. requiring safe storage. Jake, I'm not, Jake, Jake yeah. I didn't come on with you this morning to go through the entire penal code of the federal government of the state. I'm just saying that every parent out there needs to understand Every gun owner, if you're not a parent, you need to understand your guns must not be, you must, you must control your guns at home and be sure they're locked up and kept away from others getting your guns. Okay, you, you, you had other points you wanted to make about things you think need, need to be done. I want to let you continue, yeah. sir. Sure, Jake, uh, and thank you for that. We need, to, we need our, our teachers to be armed. Uh, we, you know, when you have, when you're facing someone who's an active shooter, uh, the best way to take that shooter down is with a, a gun. Uh, but even better than that is four or five guns to one. And yesterday or Friday, because of the heroic action of our two officers on the campus who were armed and a roving officer and a state trooper that showed up very quickly, they were able to stop the shooter from killing more. Uh, this school, Jake, was one of 186 school districts given an award for their safety training in Texas out of 1,000 districts. 
and they reacted quickly and bravely. But had teachers been armed, there was a teacher next door, a Marine, uh, who saw what was going on, slammed the door, locked his door, protected his students. Some feel had he been able to carry a gun, he may have been able to stop that shooter had it been his choice. So in Texas, I can tell you this law, uh, Jake, we already allow teachers to carry, but we leave it up to local control, up to the superintendent, up to the teachers, and up to the parents to make that decision. I was in a, I was in the hospital visiting with a student who was wounded uh, on Friday night, and a lot of his classmates were there. And when we asked them, Governor Abbott and I were there, and Senator Cruz, they all said to a person, uh, our teachers should be armed. The parents said our teachers should be armed. So we need armed teachers trained, of course, not just anyone who has a gun, but trained how to handle active shooters in the, in the schools. We need to harden the target. Number two, Jake, we need to get down to one or two entrances into our schools. You have the necessary exits for fire, of course, but we have to funnel our students uh, into our schools so we can put eyes on them. This young man showed up with a trench coat, which he wore often, I've learned, uh, and he had a gun under it. And he, and he came through one of the entrances undetected. You know, the Israelis have, 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 have three focus on security, and that is to deter, detect, and deny. And we have too many people who can get onto our school campuses with guns who are not deterred and are, and are not detected. So I'm proposing that our new school designs are built that way and we retrofit our schools. The average age of schools in, tech in America, Jake, are 44 years old. Uh, schools weren't designed and built you know, 40 mm -hmm. and 50 years ago to deal with today's issues. So we can harden those targets and make it more difficult. Well, whatever the solutions, I, I hope they come quick, and I hope that they are successful. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, thank you so much. We're all thinking about Santa Fe, Texas today. Uh, pray for us, but Texas is strong, and we will stand together uh, and, and with these families and get through this time. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, sir. And here with me is Democratic Senator Mark Warner uh, of Virginia. Um, let me just start with this issue of, of guns and, and this epidemic or mass and a lot of incidents of, of shootings, mass shootings. Is there any legislation you can think of uh, based on what we know about the Santa Fe, Texas incident that could have prevented the tragedy? Well, first, obviously, condolences to the folks in Santa Fe, although as been stated, I think tragedy after tragedy, people want to hear more than thoughts and prayers from politicians. I don't think there's a single piece of legislation, but there is a series of actions. Are there things we can do that would improve the safety of our, secu of our schools? Absolutely. Should there be more mental health counseling for troubled teens, a number of the incidents that are caused by young men uh, time and again? Uh, absolutely. Uh, making sure people are safer with their own firearms? Absolutely. But one of the things from the previous interview, the notion that you can go through this list of items and not talk about reasonable gun control, reasonable at least background checks, might not have affected this tragedy, but potentially others. Uh, the fact that we should, and this was not a case where there was an assault-style weapon, but the fact that we're the only industrial nation in the world that allows these military-style assault weapons to uh, populate throughout our whole society. I think anyone that says you can address this issue without also dealing with reasonable and logical restraints on, on gun ownership. And I say that as somebody who was, when I was governor, I was supported by the NRA. But tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, I would hope elected officials would allow their, their thinking to evolve on this issue. Well, let me ask you a question, because um, obviously the current Congress is a place where the kind of gun legislation you're talking about goes to die. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, even the ban on bump stocks uh, mm-hmm. couldn't get through Congress or isn't going through Congress. They're doing it in a regulatory way, the Trump administration. But I'm old enough to remember when Democrats controlled the House and the Senate and the White House. And this, you know, these shootings did not just start in the Trump administration. They've been going on for decades. Um, why didn't Democrats do anything about gun violence then? I think this epidemic seems to have gotten much worse in the last 10 years. Yeah, there's plenty of things that we could have pointed back in the 80s and 90s when the Democrats controlled uh, that perhaps in retrospect should have uh, more should have been done. But the fact is, Jake, it's now 2018. We have these tragedies. It feels like once a quarter. There's a few days of mourning, with the exception of what happened after Parkland, where there seemed to be a moment. And my hope and my appeal to everyone is let's do an all of the above. But please, for those uh, folks that I work with in the Congress, take a moment and let your position evolve. I mean, there are ways that we can put reasonable restraints without dramatically interfering with people's Second Amendment rights. All right, Senator, stay right there. We have a lot more to talk to you about. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about a lot having to do with the Russia investigation, including a new report detailing another meeting that Donald Trump Jr. held at Trump Tower before the 2016 election. Who was at that meeting? That's next. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. One year into special counsel Robert Mueller's Russia investigation, there is new reporting suggesting that another country may have tried to influence the U.S. presidential election. The New York Times is reporting that three months before the election, Donald Trump Jr. met with an emissary for two Gulf nations offering to help his father's campaign. It included a proposal for a social media manipulation campaign. And just a few minutes ago, President Trump seemed to respond to that story on Twitter, writing in part, quote, The world's most expensive witch hunt has found nothing on Russia and me, so now they are looking at the rest of the world. I'm back with Senator Mark Warner of Virginia, the vice chairman of the Intelligence Committee. Uh, Senator, I want to get your reaction to this report. Were you aware of this other meeting uh, Donald Trump Jr. had with uh, some representatives of Gulf state nations? And is there any evidence that any of them actually followed through and did anything to help the Trump campaign? I'm not going to comment about where we stand in terms of certain witnesses and our investigation, but... If the Times story is true, we now have at least a second and maybe a third nation that was trying to lean in to this uh, campaign. And I don't understand what the president doesn't get about the law that says if you have a foreign nation interfere in an American election, that's illegal. But did it take place? I, I think the Times story, we'll see what follows after that. What we do know took place, though, is that Russia... A foreign adversarial nation massively interfered in our elections, both in terms of leaking information on a selective basis, scanning 21 of our state's electoral systems, using social media in ways that were uh, basically unprecedented. And they were doing it to not only sow disarray, but to help Trump and hurt Clinton. And And that point was reconfirmed this week on a bipartisan basis by your the committee. intelligence committee. So, the, But the big question is, did they do so with the assistance or participation of any American, especially and in including people who are in the Trump campaign's orbit? And do you have an answer to that question? Because well, that's that, collusion. That, that's that, is, question. that is clearly the end point question that we're going to have to deal with. But have you seen any evidence of it? But what we do know, and we have seen evidence, matter of fact, the uh, Leaking, leaking of the transcripts from Donald Trump Jr. putting out by the Judiciary Committee shows clearly that the Trump campaign welcomed dirt sure. on Hillary Clinton. Now, 
Did the president know about that meeting or not? I don't know. I'd like to get the answer to that. I would also like to find out if there is this other pattern, uh, if the time story is accurate, and there's this pattern that other countries were offering, and clearly the Trump campaign was receptive to these kind of offers. Uh, how that is not the beginnings of evidence of stuff that needs to be investigated. And remember where we're at at this point. More mm. a year in, 14 indictments, including the indictment of the president's cam uh, campaign manager, five guilty pleas, and uh, as we've seen on reports, a lot of questions that still need to be answered. Many questions, but just to put a point on this, and then I want to move on to another question about the same subject. Still, as far as the public knows, no evidence of anybody in the Trump team accepting the offers of help, no evidence of actual conspiracy that we know of yet, that we in the public know of yet, and you're not willing to comment on whether or not you've seen evidence of that conspiracy. What we're going to do in our investigation, collusion will be the last issue. We've dealt with election security. We've reconfirmed the findings of the intelligence community assessment. We're going to deal with uh, the um, social media issues. And yes, we have to get to the conclusion. Okay. Just, uh, as well as, obviously, the Mueller investigation has to be able to continue. And this is the point, Jake, that just amazes me. The president and his allies constantly trying to undermine these investigations. Well, that, that's, if the president's got nothing to hide, let these investigations finish. Well, I want to talk about that because one of the points that you've been trying to make is they're trying to undermine it by revealing the identity of somebody who was a confidential informant for the FBI. Um, reports in The Times su suggest that this FBI informant uh, met with two Trump aides during the campaign. The president tweeted, quote, reports are there was indeed at least one FBI representative implanted for political purposes into my campaign for president. It took place fairly early on and long before the phony Russia hoax became a hot new, fake news story. If true, all time biggest political scandal. Do you was this individual, this informant, was he or she implanted into the Trump campaign? I do not. Uh, I've not seen any evidence of that kind of truth of the claim the president's made. Matter of fact, his attorney, Mr. Giuliani, I understand, backed off some of that. But let's let's go to the heart of what the president and his allies, some of his allies in the House are starting to do. Devin Nunes and others, yeah. What his allies are trying to do. The first thing you learn when you get involved with the intelligence community is you have to protect sources and methods. People's lives depend upon it. Matter of fact, Mr. Trump's own FBI director this week, Christopher Wray, said when officials or elected officials go out and start exposing classified information, exposing informants uh, that work with our government, America is less safe. That is illegal if you reveal this kind of information. You think if Devin Nunes reveals the name of this informant, he will be breaking the law? I think that if any individual, elected official or otherwise, knowingly reveals a classified piece of information about an FBI source, you are breaking the law and should be fully prosecuted. Have you seen any evidence that this individual was implanted into, because that's, this is what the conservatives are saying, that the Trump supporters are saying, including uh, people like Devin Nunes, the idea is that the FBI put somebody in there to trump up this whole investigation. I would find that extraordinarily hard to believe. And you've seen well, no evidence of it? I would find that extraordinarily hard to believe. What we do know is there was constant outreach from the Russians, not just to Trump Jr., Papadopoulos, potentially others. And there was a lot of willingness. Now, was there, was there this willingness to actually connect the dots? That's where the investigation, Mueller investigation, our investigation will continue to look at. What role did but the informant play in launching the investigation? Was the informant, what we've been told is that Papadopoulos' meeting with the Australian diplomat in which he said that uh, uh, somebody with ties to the Kremlin told, told him about the, the Hillary emails, that that was the linchpin for the investigation. But I don't know what the timeline is in terms of this informant, and I don't know what role he played uh, in the launch of Operation 
crossfire hurricane? I believe there was a whole series of information that our government received, or at least law enforcement received, that made them start this investigation. And Including uh, the informant? I'm not going to get into this particulars. That's not appropriate. That would be doing exactly what I said is okay. inappropriate to do. But what we do know is that the conclusion that was reached by both the Obama intelligence officials and the Trump intelligence officials that said, you know, they are, the Russians were trying to influence to help Trump and hurt Clinton, that has all been reconfirmed. So um, lastly, I know you've been very concerned about President Trump talking about wanting to help China right. with this telecom giant, ZTE, uh, get uh, access to the United States. Uh, what exactly is your concern? Well, first of all, the president claims he's out for American jobs. Uh, one area I thought I might agree with him on is taking a stronger stand against China and particularly calling out a company like ZTE that his intelligence officials have said poses a national security threat. Once he took an action positively, then he immediately backs off and says he's suddenly concerned about Chinese jobs instead. To me, that's outrageous. And we owe a responsibility, not just with ZTE, but with other Chinese companies that are penetrating our systems for the intelligence community to be more forthcoming to the American public to make sure that we, that we in effect, inform the public and inform businesses. And the fact that the president stepped away from that claim and is just using this as a bargaining chip, that is not in the best interest of our national security. Are you going to try to stop it legislatively? I think that we need to take every tool we can to make sure that whether it's CTE or other firms that are in effect stealing our intellectual property, penetrating our systems, uh, that we take appropriate action. Senator Mark Warner, Democrat of Virginia, thank you so much, sir. Good thank to you see did. you as always. A Democratic lawmaker says inaction in Congress is a green light for shooters. While in Texas, Republicans say it's all about school safety. How do we get beyond the political debate? My panel will be here next. Stay with us. gun industry, they need to pay out. We ought to create a national victims compensation fund for all victims of gun violence that is funded by gun manufacturers on every weapon sold and every weapon manufactured. If they have to pay, they will change their behavior. You can count on it. His 14-year-old daughter Jamie was killed uh, at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida a few months ago. He was on my show, The Lead on Friday talking about the horrific incident in Santa Fe, Texas. My panel's uh, here with me. Governor Granholm, let me start with you. You were governor of a state where gun rights are important, Michigan. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, it's a state President Trump won uh, in 2016. Governor Abbott uh, of Texas says thoughts and prayers are not enough. It's an interesting comment from a Republican governor uh, because that's been something the Democrats have been using uh, against Republicans, thoughts and prayers are not enough. Um, what should he do? Well, he certainly didn't say what he would do. There's, you can do all of the above. 97% of gun owners want to see background checks. 85% of gun owners want to see, make sure that people with mental illness don't have access to firearms. We can cite all the stats. 35,000 people killed last year in gun violence that we are 25 times more likely to be killed in this country than in other countries. We respect hunting. That is not what this is about. I am feel like Fannie Lou Hamer. I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. I, I'm taking a whole new strategy on this. Instead of yelling at this, instead of looking at Dan Patrick up there saying we ought to add, you know, we ought to ban doors instead of looking at access to guns, I'm saying there's one solution. Mm -hmm. The one solution is, to, is at the ballot box. Take them out if 
by at the ballot box if they do not agree that we should have common sense gun solutions. That's it. We got to elect so, people so, so, so who will do what the voters so want. You're from another. Uh, you're from a Commonwealth of Pennsylvania where guns, where gun rights are important as yeah, well. But, but so, so, Governor, you heard Jake just ask Senator Warner the question about during the '80s when Democrats ran the White House, both houses of Congress. You could have acted. You could have done all this. Take out Democrats who want to. You didn't to. do anything. I'm saying so I changing want the people. electorate is not going to change. No, no. Take, changing so, so the people who are in office. It's not going to change. Absolutely. It. We need, what Absolutely. We need, what we need, and I think you'll agree, <clears throat> is we need to really take a hard look at mental health in this country. We need to do that, too. Okay? We need this, to do that, is, too. I but that's up, not it. Listen, Governor, I grew up in a state in, in, in western Pennsylvania. Guns were prevalent. They were laying around basements. They were in cars. Kids didn't go into schools and shoot people. They didn't do it. It didn't happen. Something has changed in this culture, right? There's a famous quote, which okay. I know you're familiar with. Violence, right? Violence is the language of the unheard, right? Martin Luther King, right? Which I know you're familiar with that quote because I, I, I read it in one of your speeches. And, and something has gone on here where these people feel that they're not being heard it's, and okay. they're acting out. And so I agree. We need All to, right. We, so let's do something with, with mental health yeah. and let's restrict so, access to guns by those who need mental uh, health. Linda, I, 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 Linda Chavez, I want to give I want to play some sound from a student um, on Friday that just absolutely broke my heart mm-hmm. um, about the, the hopelessness uh, that students today feel that I don't think they felt when any of us mm-hmm. were in high school. Let's roll that sound. Was there a part of you that was like, this isn't real, this, isn't, this would not happen in my school? No, there wasn't. Um, Why so? It's been happening everywhere. I felt, I've always kind of felt like eventually it was going to happen here too. So, I don't know. I wasn't surprised, I was just scared. I mean, that just absolutely breaks my heart that that's what kids are growing up with. Absolutely breaks my heart, too. I have nine grandkids, and, you know, the thought that one of them could face this is terrifying. I agree with both David and Jennifer on this issue. I do think we need some gun laws. Uh, I mean, this wasn't a case of an AR-15, but I still think we ought to ban AR-15s. I think they're military weapons that don't belong with uh, individual civilians. I think we ought to make people who... Uh, do not lock up their guns and who give access to their guns liable. I think that if they were more liable, people would be more responsible. But I also think there is a crisis in this culture right now, and teenagers in particular. I don't know what's happened, and we don't really seem to have a handle on it. It's not just individual mental health. We're talking about a culture that breeds this violence. And frankly, the attention we're spending on this, I think, probably also encourages copycats. And, and I want to ask you this, Congresswoman, because one of the things I've heard from women in the last couple of days, especially after it came out that one, the mom of one of the students killed, a girl, uh, said that this shooter, alleged shooter, had been asking her out a number of times. She rebuffed him one time. Maybe she even embarrassed him last week. Uh, and he, that she was one of the first people, if not the first person, killed. Uh, we saw in, recently an incident in Maryland where a boy went and shot, I believe, his ex-girlfriend. Um, and there is talk about a crisis of culture. There's something that I've been I've been hearing from a lot of women about. We're raising our boys wrong, uh, that they feel like they're entitled to things from girls. And sometimes it goes way wrong. But what well, do you I think, think that just started now? If you look at the women killed through domestic violence, sure. that's through guns uh, most of the time. So this is not a new phenomenon. I associate myself with many of the comments that have already been made. Yes, we do need to change who's in Congress. Uh, I, I disagree with you about that. <laughs> we definitely that's need to change. We, we actually have for background checks. We have 208 co-sponsors, bipartisan. We've never had that many before. 
Speaker Ryan won't call the bill to the floor. It's as simple as that. Some people won't be a sponsor, but they'll vote for the bill when it comes to the floor. They won't entertain the bill. They won't even give us a chance Democrats to vote. didn't do anything on gun control, though, when they controlled the House, Senate, and White House from 2009 to 2011. They did nothing. That may be true, but I think, you know... Every day, I think people are more conscious of what's going on. And I feel like the voice I brought to Congress was we always talk about the mass shootings in school, but we don't talk about the every day that goes on in some but, of the other areas. Chicago, 1,400 kids, um, people killed on the streets of Chicago in the past two years. That's an epidemic. That should be addressed. Totally yeah. agree. Yeah. But totally it, but, agree, but it's but we have Well, the state we, legislature, the state legislature could act. No, and no, this, no they are. Sure has, no, they have moved. Well, the states are doing from, better than the well, We're getting guns from Indiana well, that are coming across Indiana the and Wisconsin. Look at the, the, of the top 27 largest mass shootings in the history of the United States, the, t- the 10 of them have happened in the past 10 years. <laughs> 13 of them have happened in the past 10 years. There is an acceleration of this. There is no doubt. So what causes it? Well, it's access to guns yeah, yeah. makes it easier for them. But, no. Access to guns. But, but, but you're saying it's more than it that. Is, it, is, it, is, it is. It is more than that. Look, I, I, I absolutely believe we have to have common sense gun control. But there is something really deeply sick about this culture. I mean, and it's not just these are the most grotesque acts of violence, but the way in which people disrespect each other. And, you know, that comes from the top on down. Sandy Hook, the Sandy Hook organization has an incredible program. If you have a gun, keep it safe and secure. No child eats alone. It's easier to build a child and repair an adult. And they also have a great program uh, about uh, looking at kids in schools and giving them the attention they need. need All of that needs to happen. We need to take a quick break and talk about uh, some other subjects as well. Coming up, the moderates versus the conservatives. Is Republican infighting a symptom of larger issues within the party's leadership? The panel will weigh in on that next. Stay with us. I was talking about the MS-13 and also, and if you look a little bit further on in the tape, you'll see that. So when the MS-13 comes in, when the other gang members come into our country, I refer to them as animals. And guess what? I always will. That was President Trump defending and <clears throat> attempting to clear up comments in which he used the term animals to describe uh, criminals uh, who are in this country illegally. He says he was referring specifically to gang members from MS-13. The president came under fire from Democrats who took his comments to mean he was referring to all undocumented immigrants or even possibly legal immigrants to the United States. My panel's back with me. Um, Let me start with you, Linda Chavez. I I took his comments to mean in the context of the question and everything to be referring to MS-13, but the president does speak vaguely and he does have a history of conflating violent criminals with regular undocumented immigrants who are not violent. Or even just uh, immigrants, period. I mean, when he uh, went down the escalator and announced for presidency, uh, he's talked about Mexicans, not even Mexican immigrants, but Mexicans uh, as rapists. And so, you know, he wasn't talking about illegal immigrants there. He was talking about all Mexicans. So the president does have a history with this. I mean, okay, so MS-13, I think you could use a lot of words to describe MS-13. Uh, interestingly, their victims are overwhelmingly other immigrants. So this is not a, uh, a gang that inflicts wanton damage in our streets. It goes and targets other immigrants. But this is, uh, this is part of a much bigger problem of the demonization of immigrants in the United States that this administration has been involved in, encourages, and uh, frankly, it is frightening. What do you think, uh, President Trump making a big deal out of the fact that, in his view, 
the fake news media, I'm quoting him now, the fake news media purposefully twisted his words. Well, well, they, did, well they did have to, everybody did have to walk it back. So he, he is correct in that regard. Um, and, and the president, as Linda correctly points out, look, MS-13, they're not nice people to say it mildly. That's a violent I mean, gang. It's an incredibly violent gang. I think the president was speaking specifically about that. And, and, and it gets caught up in this bigger DACA debate and what we're going to do with folks who are here that we don't want to get rid of, the kids who came here and no fault of their own, they're stuck here, and how do we deal with them? And, and it's really a difficult issue. It should be solved pretty easily. President Obama couldn't get it done with the Democratic Congress, so he tried to act and do something, maybe a little bit outside of his power, and, and President Trump is left with it, trying to clean it up. And that's why the Farm Bill failed, really. So, so Governor, one of, the, one of the issues, and we'll get to that in a second about the Farm Bill, but one of the issues that I've heard uh, Trump supporters, and even non-Trump supporters who are conservative, uh, talk about is now Democrats are defending MS-13. Now Democrats are saying, hey, they're not animals. We shouldn't talk about people that way. And is that really where the Democratic Party wants to be? What, what do you think? No, I mean, of course not. Nobody is defending MS-13. But what concerns me is that he is conflating all immigrants with MS-13. He's using MS-13, which is a horrible organization. You can call them all sorts of names. He's using them to justify mass deportations or slowing people who are seeking asylum, ripping children from their parents at the border who are coming from Central American countries who may be victims of violent gangs instead of perpetrators of violent gangs. Is that real? And this is all being done in our name as America. Is this really who we are? And I worry that what he's doing is sort of zhuzhing all everything together so that everybody gets mad at all immigrants to, in order to justify the border wall. And Congresswoman, let's talk about the issue that David brought up, which has to do with the fact that there are some moderate Republicans teaming up with Democrats yes. to force a vote on an immigration bill uh, that would provide uh, a path to right. some sort of legal status for the dreamers under DACA. Uh, here's one of the movement's uh, leaders, Republican Congressman uh, Jeff Denham. I have asked the speaker every single week, give us a timeline when these bills, when we can have a full debate in front of the American people, um, and we failed to get one, and so we're forcing one. Is this going to happen? Republicans and Democrats, the moderate Republicans right. who are joining with Democrats, only need five more Republicans to join with them uh, to, to push this. Is it going to happen? I actually thought it was closer than that. Oh, is that right? On okay. Friday. I don't know what the number quite is, but uh, I'm feeling positive that it's going to happen, but then you never know, you know, um, because things change. I don't know if people get intimidated uh, and then they don't want to do anything. I don't know what the speaker is saying to his side of the aisle, but. Uh, I'm hoping it's going to happen. The Speaker Ryan does not want this to happen. The moderates need it because they feel like they're vulnerable, the moderate Republicans. Uh, but base Republicans do not want a, uh, an immigration bill. Uh, for they don't want to vote because right. they don't have the vote to pass the anti-legal immigration uh, bill that the, the Freedom Caucus is supporting, which would reduce legal immigration by 50 percent at a time when we have the lowest unemployment that we've had in in years. Uh, so this is uh, it. If it does get to the floor, if we are able to get a vote on it, it will pass. The question is, then, what will the Senate do? I think there's actually a chance the Senate would pass it. And I think President Trump would be forced to, to actually sign it if a bill came to him, particularly if it also included money for the wall. Listen, let's not forget how we got here, okay? Let's just press the rewind button. This is in 2012, President Obama couldn't get this done. He couldn't get it done. So he did it by executive so, so order. So he did it saying this is going to be a temporary action to get it done. He kicked the can down the road himself, and he left this 
because he couldn't get it done himself. But, so but, the thing that but somehow President Trump <laughs> created the problem. Trump did not. Yeah, he, he ended it. He created what happened the problem listen, that listen, we're you guys all know, you know all too well. The DAPA, listen, DAPA for the parents was struck down by the court. Five attorney generals were going to sue on DACA. Right. The president deferred action on this, said, I don't want to do this, Congress. Take an action. The president said to do it. Look, look, we're look. all here because President Obama couldn't Stop, get it done. But, but he didn't have to undo the executive Obama order. Not president right. Right now, could have got it done. He could have dealt with it. Why didn't he Donald deal with it? Trump, Why didn't he deal with it? Because he tried and he had a and Republican House and Senate. And he failed. Hello? No, he, he, Come on. He, he failed. didn't try when he had okay, both houses. Okay, listen. He was working on That's an important point that Linda said. All right. Right now, Donald Trump is the president. He could fix this. He blew it up. He could fix it. He is not doing that. This is a midterm election. This is why you've got 20 plus Republicans. What's your prediction? Let's hear from Linda. Let's hear from Linda. Is it going to pass the House? Is it going to pass the Senate? Is President Trump going to sign it or veto it? I guess. Does Stephen Miller like it? That's why. Well, so if he doesn't like it, I wonder. And that's why the answer to this question, like the last one, is November. People. Linda Chavez, no supporter of President Trump, says. Obama couldn't get it done with the okay. Democratic Congress. Great panel. Thank you so much, one <laughs> and all. Some might call him American political royalty. President John F. Kennedy's grandson is now carrying on his family's legacy. What might JFK have thought about today's political climate? I'll talk to Jack Kennedy Schlossberg next. Stay with us. Welcome back. Courage can sometimes feel in short supply in today's politics, but this evening... The John F. Kennedy Presidential Library will honor political courage. I spoke with President John F. Kennedy's grandson, Jack Kennedy Schlossberg, about how his grandfather might have viewed today's political climate and asked him why the library selected New Orleans Mayor Mitch Landrieu to receive this year's Profile in Courage Award. We're giving it to Mitch Landrieu this year, not just for what he did in removing four Confederate statutes from his city in New Orleans, but also for how he did it. He offered his city and his country a compassionate and eloquent explanation for why he thought that decision was the right one. I recognize that it's gone to Democrats and Republicans, but I wonder, has it ever gone to somebody who, who did something that was a tough decision and you actually think they were wrong? I know in the past, um, one decision that was somewhat controversial was the decision to give the award to Gerald Ford for pardoning Richard Nixon, which I think uh, was a very... Uh, it was, a, it was a great decision to give him that award for doing so, and Gerald Ford helped the country in doing that. But I think that there were a lot of people who were upset and, um, at the time. I mean, I obviously wasn't alive, but I think that oftentimes the picks are controversial, but that just speaks to how important courage is. Is there anyone you think were your namesake alive today, were President John F. Kennedy alive today, is there anyone in Washington, D.C. that he would look at and think, that person is a profile in courage? Are you seeing many of those in Washington today? Well, I can't speak for my grandfather. He's obviously not around today. I think that um, he would be very ha proud of how the Democratic Party has um, acted and since 1963 and uh, until today. I think that he would have been proud of President Obama's tenure in office and uh, his decision to uh, enter into a, a nuclear agreement with Iran, um, despite facing enormous political consequences for doing that. The same with uh, the Paris Agreement and hosts of many other issues. We've seen uh, a number uh, of people in the next generation of Kennedys running for office. Your cousin Joe Kennedy, a congressman from Massachusetts, is a rising star. Um, you are currently studying uh, law at Harvard and pursuing your, your MBA. Do you feel an obligation towards public service? Is that part of the family ethos that, that you need to run for office someday? I'm certainly proud of my family's legacy of public service. Uh, it's something that uh, I'm inspired by and it's inspired a lot of the choices I've made in life so, uh, so far. 
Um, I don't know what the future holds. I certainly don't feel any pressure from anyone in my family to do anything. But what I do know is that um, we can demand a lot more out of our politics. And our thanks to Jack Kennedy Schlossberg uh, for uh, that interview. Our congratulations to Mayor Mitch Landrieu for the award. Coming up, two constitutional scholars on how a president might be impeached and if the Trump White House could be in trouble. That's next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.